What's up, Elevate City fam? Thanks so much for tuning in for this special message today. Obviously, we're going through some pretty crazy times in our country with the events that transpired at the Capitol. And so we decided to pivot what our plan was going to be and do a special message today titled Dear God. I know you're asking tons of questions like, what do I tell my kids? What's happening in our world? Where's God in the midst of all of this? And I hope to be able to bring some peace, some clarity, and some hope to you in the midst of everything that we're going through right now. So make sure to hit that subscribe button before you go. And remember, be blessed. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them, to uh, turn in them to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. Um, if you're new, I want to welcome you. My name is Joey, and um, I get the honor of being one of the people who get to lead this movement. And uh, ultimately, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who I believe can save anybody, and that's Jesus. We are a Jesus people. I'm a Jesus guy. This is a Jesus church. And so you're going to hear a lot about Jesus today, and a lot about Jesus' story, and a lot about Jesus' ideals, and a lot about Jesus' ideals ideologies and the way that Jesus sees the world. And um, so if you've got your Bibles, Philippians chapter two, verse one, this is what it says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to preach a message for you today titled, Dear God. Dear God. You know, it's all that I could think as I watched the news reports this week, as I read articles and investigated what was happening and unfolding at the Capitol building. Dear God. I thought to myself, is this even real? Like what is even happening? This is the kind of stuff that happens in third world countries. Dear God, what is happening? Anybody else ask themselves that question this week? Like, dear God, what is even happening? We, uh, we had planned to do, to launch a new collection of talks today, one that I am extremely excited about and that I think is going to be foundational and revolutionary for Elevate City Church. But when the events started to unfold this week, we just had this great conviction that we needed to pivot and that we needed to go from dear 2020 last week to dear God this week. And then I'll be honest with you, I spent a lot of time this week looking at a blinking cursor on my computer screen because I just didn't know what to say. 
And it's the reason that today is titled Dear God because it's more of like me just having a conversation with him in front of you than it is even me preaching. It's like more praying than preaching. So if, I dis- if you disagree or hate something that I say today, you're just judging my prayer, okay? And I want you to know it's going to be a little David-esque. It's going to sound like I'm probably a little crazy at times because I'm pretty emotional. I'm pretty broken at what's going on in our country. And then I'm even more broken at the response of the church this week. I'm broken. Dear God, what is happening? I watched as I started to ask myself, is a political insurrection happening in America? Are are we really witnessing right now? Is this domestic American terrorism? Is our Capitol building being invaded? There are people who are hanging from the balcony of Congress, people who have their feet on the desk of the Speaker of the House. Gallows were erected in front of the Capitol building with a noose. People are chanting, hang Mike Pence. Five people died. The largest amount of people who've died at a federal building since Benghazi. Dear God, What is happening to America? This is the question that just racked my brain this week. What in the world is going on in our world? What is happening to our country? I saw this quote this week and it said that if America saw what America is doing to America, America would go and rescue America. Like we wouldn't allow what happened in our country to happen in another country throughout the world without somebody stepping in and showing up and doing something. I want to tell you today that what happened at the Capitol is not justifiable as an American and it is downright appallable as a Christian. Like I'm here to condemn it today. I just want you to know that Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says this. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I want to do some really deep Bible teaching for you real quick. Okay, revolutionary kind of moment. The Bible's written in uh, three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And this part of the Bible's written in Greek. And so that word all in the Greek, do you know what it means? All. It means all people. All people, people people who don't vote like you, people who don't think like you, people who don't talk like you, people you disagree with, people you don't like, people who you think stole an election, people who you think rigged votes, all people. Living peaceably with people is not an option. It is a biblical command. And I'm here to tell you today that protests that are not done peaceably are protests that are not Christian. They're not. Our nature, our DNA, our command as followers of Jesus is to do things peaceably. And I want for you to know that right now, if you've got some anger building up in your soul, if you disagree with me, you have no ability to actually put together a biblical defense that has any coherency whatsoever. You couldn't even come up with a single Bible verse that would disagree with me. All the people who disagree with me have is the classic rhetoric of why didn't you condemn the race riots that the left had this summer? Right? It's, it's classic rhetorical questions. Like, why did you condemn those riots? Because the Bible is an anti-protest. The Bible is anti-trying to overthrow an established authority. 
I'll prove it to you. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. I'm here to tell you today that as followers of Jesus, we have a biblical command to obey the laws of the land unless what's illegal is the proclamation of the gospel, in which case I'll see you in prison. But other than that, we obey, we submit, we don't overthrow. Now, I, I know what, you're, what you might be saying. Well, Joey, what about COVID? They shut down churches. That didn't make the gospel, preaching the gospel illegal. It just made it inconvenient made it difficult, made it hard. And the courts have ruled they can't close down churches anymore. Like, we're good. We're here to stay, people. But I'm telling you, like, our, our DNA, our wiring, the, the minds that we have made up is to live peaceably with all people, no matter what. I, I saw people say things this week, say things like, well, you know, Joey, the Constitution gives me the right to overthrow the government if I think that the government is doing things that are unjust. And I'm here to tell you today that for the Christian, the highest book in the land, document in the land, is not the Constitution. It's the Bible. And the Bible calls us, commands us to live peaceably with all people. Now hear me say this. The Bible says lives peaceably. It does not say that you have to live agreeably. It does not say that you have to live agreeably. Please protest, vote, investigate, challenge, converse, have discourse, but do it peacefully in a way that brings peace. Jesus has called us to be peacemakers. Where are the peacemakers, I'm wondering today? Jesus, in his most famous sermon, says, blessed are the peacemakers. Where are the peacemakers? Now, when, when you hear me say peacemakers, don't hear me say peacekeepers. We're not called to just be keepers of the peace. We're not just okay with status quo. We don't just let things go the direction of culture. That's not what I'm saying. When something is wrong, we stand up and we step in and we disrupt things, but we do it in a way that brings peace, not in a way that brings chaos. I don't know if this happens to you or not, but I was praying this prayer this week. Dear God, what is happening? What is happening? And sometimes when I pray, just like scripture just rushes into my mind. And John 16, just rushed into my mind where Jesus, who is God, when I'm going, dear God, what is happening? Jesus, who is God? He says, I am the, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. Take heart. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus is trying to say to us that the reason that what is happening right now is that we live in a broken and fallen world. That's what's happening right now. Let me be really, really explicitly clear about what's happening right now is that we live in a broken and fallen world where trouble is normal, sin is real, the devil is a liar, and people are broken. It's the reality about the world that we live in. And the thing that it's making it so tense right now is that we're not taking heart, we're taking sides. We're not taking heart, we're taking sides. And when we take heart in this world, in the world of politics or in the world of wealth or in the world of our opinion, the world always overwhelms us. Anybody feel overwhelmed right now? Overcome right now? Over it all right now? 
That's what happens when we don't take heart in Jesus, but we take heart in the world. Um, what right now is happening today reminds me of Judges. Judges chapter 17, verse 6, it says this. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Here's the problem. Right now, we are all stuck in our own echo chambers, and the voice that is echoing is not the voice of King Jesus. It's our own voice. We only listen to the news outlets that tell us that we're right, and we turn off the ones that tell us that we're wrong. We only gather for ourselves a group of people on social media who approve of our actions and affirm our ideologies and support our beliefs, and we mute and isolate and silence everyone else who doesn't. And do you know what that does? That causes our pride and our self-righteousness to puff up so that we do what's right in our own eyes. Because there's nobody else left in our life to tell us that what we're doing is wrong. Right now, some of you, you're hearing me preach and you're going, I don't like this. This is making me uncomfy, so I'm not coming back next week. And I'm here to tell you today that that is the last thing that God wants for you. He doesn't want to keep you the same. He wants to transform you from one degree of glory to the next. And oftentimes, sanctification is not comfortable. But I don't think that comfort is what our country needs right now. I think we need change. We need to open our eyes. I think we need to start seeing things a little bit differently. I think that it's time. I think it's really, really time for us to spend some time looking in the mirror. I think it's time for us to start to ask ourselves some really tough questions to evaluate how we think. You know that you can't always be right. You know that, right? You can't always be right. Do you know what you are if you think that you can always be right? You're single. Every married man in the room can attest right now it's impossible to always be right. It's impossible. You need some voices. You need some recognition. You need to do some long walks and some hard looking at what you think and what you believe and how you're acting. We don't have honest dialogue in this country anymore because we're all so afraid of being canceled by everyone. Canceled. 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 And then if... They say something we don't like, muted. We just mute them. It just happens over and over and over again. Like, I'm 31, so I'm just like recently to the adults table. You know what I'm saying? And um, I found out that there's a lot of name calling up here. Like, I thought that all went away when you stopped being a kid. But I've come to realize that if I disagree with somebody that I'm a Marxist or I'm a bigot or I'm a racist or I'm a zealot, when could I just be a... What, what happened to me just being able to be a human who had a different opinion from you? All this name calling, all this aggression, all this extremism, it's broken. We're broken. Uh, I can tell you what's happening right now, and I believe this really, really deeply, is that we've so distanced ourselves from each other, causing us to become so afraid of each other that we've begun to hate each other. It's become so much distance, so many sides, so much polarization. We have no relationships. And so then we just begin to hate and we begin to fear. And so now we are no longer one nation under God. We are one nation under fear. 
We're so afraid of what's going to happen and where things are going and what's going to happen to my beliefs and what's going to happen to my ideas and what's going to happen to my ideologies. And you can make a lot of political assessments about how we've gotten here, but I want to make a biblical assessment. And it's because I think that there's a whole bunch of people who don't have any Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. There's a whole world out there who doesn't have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. I think that there's a whole world out there that don't know Jesus. I think that people right now are so spiritually empty. God's word does, is not a priority. Gathering together with God's people, not a priority. The spirit of God, not a priority. Walking with Jesus, not a priority. The urgency of pro proclaiming the gospel, not a priority. It's not a priority. And so people don't have the connectedness with God that they need. And so we're just staying broken. And listen, I am by no means, I am by no means trying to put a Band-Aid on this issue at all. I'm not trying to put a Christian bumper sticker on top of a very complex situation. But what I'm trying to tell you and, and show you today is that you cannot legislate morality and that there are not enough laws in the land to fix what is broken in the human heart. The only answer is the gospel. It always has been and it always will be. And, and we don't believe it. That's the big problem right now. The big problem right now is that we somehow have started to believe that politics and that humans and that policy can somehow fix what's going on in our country. And it can't. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says it like this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you're a Christian, I want for you to know that your fight is not first intellectual or political, it is spiritual. We are not fighting to get Senate seats. We are fighting for people's souls. You are not fighting to alter the electoral college. You are fighting to alter people's eternities. That is your mission. That is the vision for your life. That should be your preoccupation. And it has ceased to be so, which has caused us to wind up in this place. Hear me say this. When eternity becomes small and secondary and peripheral, that's when big problems start to arise for the people of God. When we start to think that this is our home and that this is all that there is and that this is what we're living for, it all comes unraveled at the seams. Now, I'm not saying that there are not big issues in our country that are worth fighting for. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that I am pumped about the direction that the country is headed in, but there are way too many people who are more concerned about the direction that the country is headed in than the kingdom of God advancing. And that's a big problem. I care more about the faith that I leave my kids than the country that I leave my kids. I care more about their heart than what's going on in, in government. I just do. If you're a kingdom person, like if you, if you know the love and the comfort and the joy that comes with salvation, if you understand that you were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, and that you've been transferred out of a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of love, if you understand that your job and your call for the rest of your life is to try to make heaven as crowded as possible, then there is no way that you can act like this. 
There is no way that you can live like this. It is a massive issue when your perceived duty to country or policy outweighs your duty to Christianity. It's a massive issue. We are citizens of heaven. Paul, he's writing to people in Philippi. And Philippi would have been in antiquity a place that retired Roman soldiers would go to live. It's a hotbed for Roman patriotism and nationalism. And he's writing this letter to this group of people. And, and, and I love that he says, if you just have any, don't you love that he says that? You just got a little bit of Jesus' love. You just know a little bit of Jesus' encouragement. You just know like a couple of Jesus stories. Do you have any, any, just a little bit proving that the love of Jesus is so wild and so otherworldly that a little bit can go a really long way? That a little bit of Jesus' love could take people who've got this devotion to Caesar and to Rome and to eradicate it because the devotion to King Jesus is so much more important. It's what the love of Jesus does. And I just love that he goes, you got any of it. Dear God, what is happening in our world? There's a whole bunch of people who do not understand how much God loves our world. They don't have any, not even a little bit of God's love. And it's our job. It's our mission. This is the reason we started Elevate City Church. It's the reason that as long as that there's breath in my lungs, I want to spend my life pointing to people, to the, to the one person who actually matters, Jesus, to the one person who can save their soul, to the one person who can make a difference. This is what we're supposed to do. People need Jesus. And, and I just want to say this. If you think that that's, if, if that that's minimizing the issue, you've missed it. That is elevating the conversation. Heart issues are what's going on. Before we can ever talk policy, before we can ever talk next steps, we've got to talk what's going on in the heart. So that's what's happening in our country. Dear God, what is happening? But I've also got a question. Dear God, what do I do? Dear God, what do I do? So if our country is broken and people do need Jesus and we got deeply spiritual problems and we're called to live peacefully, what do we do? Because let's just face it, saying can't we just all get along isn't working. And I think that we all know that just being nice isn't gonna help. And I think that we know that we're supposed to pray, right? Now, I don't know that a lot of us are doing it. I don't know, a lot of us are doing 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, where Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I don't know that's happened. I don't know that Democrats have been praying for Donald Trump. I don't know that Republicans are currently praying for Joe Biden. I don't think that's happening. It should, but I don't know that it is. But but we know we're supposed to pray, but, but what's next? What do we do? What actually happens? All right, let's get really nitty and gritty with it. Philippians chapter two, verse two, it says, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in a full cord and of one mind. So that scripture is not saying that we all agree on everything. That scripture is saying that there is a tie that should bind us together as the people of God that is so tight that no difference can tear us apart. It is saying that even if we disagree on everything, that we will not allow anything to separate us because we are more powerful together than we are apart. If you are not currently praying for unity in the body of Christ, I would encourage you to do so. We need each other now more than ever. We've got to stop letting little peripheral secondary issues divide. 
The blood of Jesus, the price that he paid was too high for us to stoop so low and let things divide us. It cost him too much to take what he's joined together and to let our opinions tear it apart. Of course, we have a divided country right now. We have a divided church right now. And until we, as the people of God, can show the searching world what it looks like to think different, but to be together, it's never going to happen in our country. Now, I'm here to tell you, like, I've, I think that it feels like impossible for us to have the same mind on everything. Like, I feel that way. Anybody else feel that way? Same mind on everything? I don't think it's possible. Like, I, I really feel that in my soul. Like, there's no way that we're going to be able to have the same mind on everything. Like, I guarantee you that there's some people in the room today who you've made up your mind on some issues, and I bet we've landed on different places. I would guarantee it. Like, I don't know if you could imagine this or not, but, like, off stage, I'm pretty passionate. I've got some pretty intense convictions. Like, I got some pretty intense convictions about racism. I got some pretty intense convictions about abortion. I got some pretty intense convictions about marriage. I got some pretty intense convictions about sin, about the Bible, about the church, about the gospel. I got some pretty intense convictions about preachers and sneakers, okay? <laughs> I got some pretty intense convictions about sloppy wet versus unforeseen. Don't even get me started on Bethel versus Hillsong, okay? I don't think that it's possible for us to have the same mind, to be of the same mind on everything. But can we be of the same mind on one thing, that people matter more than politics? And that people matter more than preference? And that people matter more than your opinion? Can we be of the same mind on that? That people really matter. I'm not saying that we're not going to have stuff that we disagree on. I'm not going to say that we're not going to wind up on different ends of the spectrum. But is it possible for our issues to not eliminate our love for humanity? For us to love, really love people. Dear God, what do we do? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. We do nothing from selfish ambition. That's what we do. Or conceit. But in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. Each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you sign up to be a Christian, you lay down your right to be right in order to be close. When you sign up to be a Christian, that's what you do. You, you say, I'm okay with not being right. I'm okay with being misunderstood. I lay down my right to be right in order to be close. That's what we do. Being connected matters more than being right. Being love matters. Everybody's concerned with being right. Can we be concerned with being love? Because that's what God's called us to do. It says, man, that you look to the interest of others, count others more significant than yourselves. We try really hard to understand. We work really hard to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to see things through their eyes, through their pain, to look to their interests, to count their issues as more significant than our own. This is the call of the Christian. This is what makes Christianity so radically revolutionary and so difficult for Americans. Because in America, the, the, the thing that matters most is individual liberty. For the Christian, the thing that matters most is community. You've got to get this through your mind that when you become a Christian, when you're part of the family of God, that you're no longer just yourself. You're part of a family. And it's not me that matters, it's we that matters. 
This is the understanding. This is the, this is the outlook. This is the framework for the Christian. And this is just missing. It's so me-focused right now. It's so pride. It's so my issues. It's so I'm under attack. It's so nobody understands me and nobody likes me. And what about me? And pointing fingers. Where is the we mentality that is so evident in Jesus? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I, just, I want for you to just let that sink in your mind for just a second. Just try to think about that. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I think that this is the one Bible verse that you could probably practice for the rest of your life and that you would still need some work on. In humility, count others as more significant than yourself. Do any of us see the world this way? I mean, this is the reason that Christianity turns the world upside down. It is illogical. It is backwards. It is an upside down, inside out, does not make sense to carnal minds kind of religion. I don't matter anymore. Others matter. It's, it's, so, it's so wild, but we've got to remember that Paul wrote this to Christians who were living under the tyranny of the Roman Empire. Because I think that what we have a propensity to do is to feel like, man, things are so bad in America right now that like, like things are just eroding and I've got to fight for my rights and I've got to stand up and it's time. But if you remember that he's writing to a group of Christians who did not have rights, they didn't have the right to vote. Most of them weren't even citizens of Rome. And he tells them to live peaceably with all and account others as more significant than themselves as they are being persecuted, as they are killing them, jailing them, and they're having to run for their lives. And if Paul, if, if we could just let the, the historical nature of Christianity get in our soul for a little bit before we talk about how hard it is to be a Christian in America. And remember that he writes it to these people that they're supposed to be peaceful. And, and it, it, if they're supposed to live peacefully, then I guarantee you that we're supposed to live peacefully. Um, how many of y'all remember WWJD bracelets? Y'all remember those? WWJD bracelets, they were all the fad. They were hot. You had like 19 of them. You had to get every single color of it. And I'm like, wow, you need a lot of reminders of what Jesus would do. Um, so, you know, the origin of that story is in... Um, in 1896, a guy by the name of Charles Sheldon, uh, a local pastor, he wrote a book called In His Steps. And the idea was he wanted to take himself and his church through an experiment for a year of making every decision through the lens of the notion of what would Jesus do. And this experiment for a year transformed Sheldon, and it transformed his church, and it transformed his community. And then in 1989, a youth leader, a youth group leader, had the idea, she, she read this book, and she was so captivated by the statement, by the phrase, what would Jesus do, that she decided to turn it into an acronym. And she thought that it would be a great idea to make friendship bracelets to remind her youth that every time they were faced with a difficult decision to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And in that youth group, there was a mom who was trying to illustrate to her two boys this idea of what would Jesus do? And so they were eating pancakes at breakfast that morning and they were arguing. And the mom says to her two young boys, she goes, okay, okay, what would Jesus do right now about who gets pancakes first? And before they were even allowed to answer, she just kind of spoke up and spoke in. What Jesus would do is Jesus would say to his brother, you can have the pancakes first. And so so then the older brother looks at the younger brother and goes, okay, you play Jesus. 
You see, we all want to do what Jesus would do until we realize that what Jesus would do is suffer. We love this idea of becoming like Jesus in theory, but when we realize what he went through, I don't know that all of us are equally as passionate about doing what Jesus would do. Do you know what God, dear God, what would you do? Because I've asked that question. Dear God, right now, what would you do if you had to preach this message to these people in this moment? Dear God, what would you do? And this is what he would do. He would say, have this same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Suffer, sacrifice, serve, submit. That's what Jesus would do. That's what God would do because that's what Jesus has done. He would empty himself. He would empty himself. Jesus loved us so much that he demonstrated himself, his love by emptying himself to the point of death. He, that's, that's how far he went. How far are you willing to go to prove your love? Are you emptying yourself or are you arming yourself? Are you arming yourself with opinions and with articles and with preference and with logic and with attacks? Are you emptying yourself or are you arming yourself? Are you emptying yourself or are you pumping yourself up, puffing yourself up? Are you emptying yourself or are you making much of yourself? Are you elevating yourself and elevating your issues? Jesus emptied himself. Will you let people walk all over you? He did. Will you let people spit in your face? He did. Will you let people wrongly accuse you? He did. Will you let people do things that are unjust to you? He did. Will you go on trial for a crime that you did not commit? He did. Will you die at the hands of sinful men? He did. We all want to be like Jesus till we realize what Jesus actually did. What would Jesus do? He would empty himself. I don't know about you, but I just want to spend the rest of my life emptying myself so the people who are empty can feel full. I want to spend the rest of my life emptying myself so the people can feel a little less broken. I want to spend the rest of my life emptying myself for people who feel forgotten, emptying myself for people who feel misunderstood, emptying myself for people who don't feel seen because that's what Jesus did for me. Can we be a church who's willing to empty ourselves. Dear God, what would you do? What a question to ask. And then I think what we're all asking right now at this juncture is, dear God, what in the world is going to happen? Anybody asking that right now? Dear God, what is going to happen? What is going to happen to our country? What is going to happen to our democracy? What is going to happen to our kids? What is going to happen to our economy? What is going to happen with COVID? Dear God, what is going to happen. I got good news for you. We know the end of the story. This is what's going to happen. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. His name is Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, there's not going to be any banners with Trump or Biden on them. There's only going to be knees bowing with the name of Jesus being lifted up. That's what's going to happen. That one 
one day a kingdom is going to come. A kingdom is going to be established. That the prince of peace is going to split open the skies and he's going to make all things new. That we live in a broken world now, but what is going to happen is Jesus is going to come back and we better be ready to give an account when he does. What's going to happen is one day this prince of peace is going to establish a kingdom where there's no more tears and there's no more pain, where there's no more suffering, where police officers don't lose their lives, where moms don't not make it home to see their kids, where wives don't not make it home to see their husbands. There's going to come a day, what's going to happen when buildings don't get invaded and nooses don't get erected? What's going to happen? Evil is going to be triumphed over. Brokenness is going to be fixed. All of the lies are going to vanish. All of the hurt is going to become untrue. That's what's going to happen. No more voting, just worshiping, bowing, honoring, glorifying the name that is above every name. That's what's going to happen. And when it does, one day, we're going to see that this life was but a vapor the veil is going to get torn, torn from our eyes, and we're going to give an account, and we're going, to, we're going to wish. We're going to wish that we could go back and tell people we didn't tell. We're going to wish, like Lazarus, that we could take our finger and just dip it in water to take it to the people who are in hell who never got to hear the good news of the gospel because we were too busy trying to convince them to be a part of our political party. One day we're going to realize that the greatest, that all of this is passing away. Our pursuits of wealth and fortune and fame, it's all passing away. But that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And that the greatest of these is love. That love really covers a multitude of sins. And that making people feel like loved is their middle name is all that matters in the end. So now I ask you, since that's what's going to happen. Dear church. What will we do? What will our response be? Will we stagnate? Will we frustrate? Will we remain the same? Or will we lay down our rights to be right in order to be close? Will we stop caring about being right and just care about being loved? Come on, somebody. Can I get some people today who are willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus and say, I want to do what Jesus would do no matter what it costs me? That's my prayer. That's my hope. Dear God. We need you. I just humbly come before you today, God, and I say that I need you, that I'm broken, that I'm confused, that I'm wondering, that I'm frustrated, that I'm sad, but that I believe that you are real and that you are enough and that you're actually the answer. And so, God, we are, we are people who are going to lift your name high. And we're the people who are going to shine a beaming light on the greatness of your name. God, no matter the critics, no matter the skeptics, no matter the frustration, we are Jesus people. And so, God, I just pray that a sense of conviction in all of us, regardless of what we think, regardless of how we vote, that all of us, God, that we would look in the mirror and that we would not compare ourselves to the people that we see on Facebook, that we would compare ourselves to you, that we would just let our aim let our drive to become a little bit more like you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would heal our land. 
I pray for our president and our future president, God. I pray that you would give them wisdom, that you would bless them. God, that you would open their eyes to the beauty of who you are. God, that you would tune their hearts to your word, that you would pull them close to your spirit. God, that you would let them understand the beauty of what it means to be a Jesus person. God, I pray that you would heal our nation. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.